Okay, if you look <clears throat> on the inside of your bulletin, um, there is a place where you can take notes. There's an outline there with some blanks. Um, before we actually look at the passage of Scripture today, I just wanted to give an introduction to where we are to set up why we're looking at the passage that we're going to be looking at today. And so we are in a, a sermon series called We Are. And these are the, this is the foundations for a great church and a great city. So that's what we're trying to be as a church. That's what we're trying to build into our city. And uh, so just by way of... of, um, of uh, there we go. Um, by way of introduction, this is the vision of our new church. We, what we see, this is the future that we see. We see a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. We've talked about this. We've preached on this. This is the future uh, that we see, our vision. And then here's the mission. Uh, we want to make disciples who experience Jesus in every part of their lives and then share Jesus in every part of the city. So if the future is, uh, the vision is the future of what we're building, the mission is the blueprints. This is how we're going about building a renewed city, how we're going about renewing people to God's glory. And our values, the values of our church, these are the tools that we're using. Okay, so it kind of helps to have you know, just this is what we're building, this is how we're building it, here are the tools that we're using. And so our values, like how, the question is, what are we going to use, like how do we help people to be renewed? How do we renew the city through renewed people? Well, it's with these values. These are tools that we think, as a church, are so important to us. Like, we think that every single person in San Diego needs to have these values if they're going to renew the city. Okay, we think every Christian in our church, every person in our church needs to have these values and needs to focus on these values because they are tools. And if you have these things, you will be able to experience renewal in every part of your life and then bring renewal into every part of the city. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these values one by one. And so we've seen first the, the, the first value of our church is that we are gospel centered. Right, that the story of Jesus is the center of our lives, and it's the defining story of who we are. And then last week, we saw that we are also growing in community, that the church is important because it's the place where we come together as a community and we help each other grow. And so today, we're going to look at our third value, and there's a question that this value seeks to answer. Okay, It's a clarifying question, just to set your mind on why we're even having this as a value. And that question is, who in your life who doesn't know Jesus is being blessed by your faith? This is the question that this third value answers. Who in your life who doesn't know Jesus is being blessed by your faith? Now, this is a crucial question because if we're going to renew the city, if we're going to make disciples, we need to make sure that the people around us who don't know Jesus are being blessed by our faith. And so, <clears throat> the third value, or Harbor City Church's third value is this. It's living on mission. Living on mission. We want every single one of us to live on mission. Now, what is that mission? Well, that's what this text is going to show us today. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23. And so, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, it's there at the top of your bulletin on that page. Um, let me go ahead and read these verses, and then we're going to jump in. So this is John 20, verses 19 to 23. Friends, listen. This is God's word. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So this is God's word. Okay, what we're going to see here in this passage about our mission, this is the, the next point there on your outline, is that our mission comes from Jesus' victory. Okay, our mission comes from Jesus' victory. Jesus gives us a mission. His, the mission that we have is in this passage, but this mission comes from something. Okay, you can't just say, hey, look, uh, if I want to be a Christian, what's my mission? You can't just jump to mission first. You have to start with the victory of Jesus. Okay, if you don't start with the victory of Jesus, then Christianity can become about rules. It can become about sort of guilt and manipulation. But in this passage, we see it so clearly. We see the gospel that our mission comes from Jesus' victory. And how do we see that? Well, we see it because verse 19 says, on the evening of that day. You see that? On the evening of that day. Well, what is that day? Which day? What's the day of Jesus' resurrection? Okay, this is the day when Jesus rose from the dead. Okay, we're in chapter 20, verse 19. So there's been a lot of story up to this point. Well, in chapter 20, verse 1, this is when Jesus comes out of the tomb. Okay, and the verse goes on to call it the first day of the week. You see that? Now, this phrase is subtle if you're just jumping into John's gospel at this point, because this is the end. But the symbolism here is huge if you've read John's gospel from the beginning. Okay, John's gospel actually starts with the beginning of creation. Okay, it actually quotes Genesis 1 in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then it describes the beginning of creation. And here's what's cool, is that in John's gospel, the gospel story is told in a succession of days. And so you're reading John's gospel, it starts within the beginning, and you're thinking, oh, Genesis 1, that's what it says back then. And John's like, good, I'm glad you made that connection. Because then, a little bit later, John says, and then the next day, something happened. And then the next day, something happened. And then on the third day, something happened. And what you're reading, if you have sort of eyes to see, ears to hear, if you can catch the symbolism, you see that what John is doing is he is saying that Jesus, his life and his ministry, is following the pattern of God's creation week. Okay, that what Jesus is doing in his ministry is he is creating something new. Now, the cross of Jesus was the sixth day. That was when Jesus said, it is finished. Because that's what God said at the end of the sixth day. He was finished with the creation that he created. And so in the same way that God finished creation in Genesis 1, then the seventh day in John's gospel is the day when Jesus was at rest in the tomb. So Jesus died on Good Friday. He was resting on the Sabbath. 
But then on Sunday, on Sunday he rose from the dead. And so the first day of the week in John's Gospel, it wasn't just any old Sunday. But John uses this imagery because it is the beginning of a new creation week. Are you with me? This is the beginning of a renewed world that Jesus is now building. Okay, because the first creation, just read, read on in Genesis, the first creation was broken and vandalized by our sin. We have brought death into the world. We've brought selfishness into the world. We've brought destruction into the world. We've brought fighting, bitterness, anger. Right? We bring, we, we, we mar, we have vandalized the beautiful, glorious world that God made by our sin. But the gospel announces to us that God cares about the world so much, that God loves the world so much that he entered into our broken world. Jesus is God become flesh. And in his resurrection, Jesus has overcome death. He has overcome sin and is now building a renewed world. And so when John says that day, the first day of the week, we're supposed to realize that something new has begun. This is new creation. But what I think is ironic here, but something we can definitely connect to, is that the verse goes on. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Right? The disciples were hiding in fear. They were locked behind closed doors. I think this is us sometimes, isn't it? God is active. God rises from the dead. He's alive in the world, but we are afraid. We're afraid and we're hiding because of what other people might think. For us, the victory of Jesus sometimes isn't at the center of our lives. For us, this gospel-centeredness isn't us. Right? Sometimes there's another story that's at the center of our lives. We've talked about that in the weeks past. Sometimes the center of our lives is not wanting to stand out. Sometimes at the center of our lives is that, you know what, there's other things really that are much more important than me trying to be a blessing to anybody who doesn't know Jesus. I think we want to follow Jesus, but sometimes not if it means having to say something or do something that might get us in trouble. And when this happens, we lose sight of this incredible victory. We lose sight of the fact that 2,000 years ago, Jesus began a new creation. Jesus began a work to renew the world. And we turn our back on that. Now, how does God respond to us when we cower in fear, when we lock ourselves away, when we hide from other people, or we shy away from standing out? How does God respond? Well, the verse actually tells us. In verse 19, it says that he comes to us. It says, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. I love Jesus. Because what does Jesus not do? He doesn't come condemning them. He doesn't come in saying, really, guys? Seriously? I rose from the dead. Why are you locked in here? What are you afraid of? What is wrong with you? Right? He doesn't make them feel guilty. He doesn't condemn them. 
But he came assuring them of his love. He came to be with them because that's what he does. Because that's the kind of guy that he is. And he came to him in community. The disciples were there together when Jesus showed up. There were people who weren't there at this time, and they missed out on what Jesus did. They missed out on Jesus showing up. And so even in this early stage of the followers of Jesus, even in the early stages of the church, we see here this gospel-centeredness, right? We see the victory of Jesus at the beginning of this episode, right? And we also see them growing, or second value, we see them growing in community. And so Jesus twice offers them peace in verse 19, and then again in verse 21, he says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. And then in verse 20, he showed them his hands and his side. And so what we see here is that when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's not just saying, hey guys, calm down. He's not just saying, look, don't worry about it. He's not just saying, relax. He is showing them his victory. Okay, Jesus is saying, look, it's me. It's me. You can see through the holes in my hands. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a vision. I am standing before you bodily raised from the dead. And I think when he says this, what he's saying is, look, I know what you're afraid of. I understand your fear. I know why you've locked yourself away and are afraid to speak up or to stand out. And I'm here to tell you that what you're afraid of has happened to me. But look, look, I have overcome and I am now reigning on the throne. I am in control. I have brought to you a victory so you don't have to be afraid anymore. You can have peace. No matter what they can do to you, no matter what they might do to you, even if the worst should happen, peace be with you, because you will be like me, resurrected from the dead. You'd say it this way, Jesus doesn't change their circumstances, but he brings his victory into their circumstances. How many of you today need to remember this victory of Jesus? That he has been risen from the dead, that he has achieved this victory, and if you are trusting him, he shares that victory with you. No matter what happens in this life, he has been victorious, and he will bring you through everything until you stand with him. Jesus' victory comes before the mission. So our mission comes from this victory. And it's because of his victory that Jesus gives them the mission in verse 21. It's bolded and italicized and underlined in your bulletin. He says there, As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Friends, this is our mission. This is the mission that we are called to live out at home, in the workplace, and in our neighborhoods. Jesus sends us to live on mission. And what is that mission? Well, that's our next point. The next point here, our mission consists of showing and sharing the gospel. So this is what it means to live on mission. 
It means that you are showing and sharing the gospel. English buffs, you can tell me later if it consists of or consists in. I think it might be consists in, actually, but I caught that after the bulletin was sent to print. So, <clears throat> so there you go. Let me know. But this is our mission. Our mission consists of showing and sharing the gospel. That's what it is. And so let's flesh this out. And we can see if Jesus says, I am sending you as the Father sent me, well, then we should be able to know what it means to live on mission by knowing how the Father sent Jesus, right? If we can see how Jesus was sent, then we'll know how we are sent. So in the very beginning of John's gospel, it says this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus is God revealed in flesh and blood. God the Father sent God the Son to show us what he is like. And Jesus reveals to us that God is full of grace and truth. Right? When John wants to summarize all that God is through Jesus, all that Jesus has revealed God to be, he says he is full of grace and truth. We could translate this also, he is full of love and guidance. Full of love and guidance. And so I didn't, st- I didn't just finish with John 1, but I actually read all of John's gospel this week just to understand more about what, it's, what it is. And you'll see the, this phrase of God sending the Son and Jesus saying, the Father sent me and, and all these things. He uses it over and over and over again. And John records events and teachings and interactions that Jesus had with people so that we could get to know Jesus. John wrote his gospel. He tells us that at the very end. He says, I've written these things so that you would know Jesus, so that you would believe in him And by believing in him, that you would have eternal life. And so John wants us to know Jesus and in turn to know who God is and what God is like. And so we see through Jesus just how much God loves the world. We see through Jesus just to what lengths God will go to rescue the world from the sin of evil and selfishness. And this is one really good summary passage. You know what, I'll just read it to you. It's John 8, verses 28 and 29. Jesus says this, he says, I do nothing on my own authority, but I speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. It's John 8, 28 and 29. And so this is the mission. It's saying what God says, right? It's doing what God does. It's showing the gospel by what we do and sharing the gospel by what we say. Okay? That's our mission. Showing the gospel by what we do and sharing the gospel by what we say. And this is really important. It's not about being a good person. It's about being a gospel-centered person. Okay? Being a Christian is not being, it's not about being a good person. Now, There are really good things that happen inside of Christians when you embrace the victory of Jesus, when you realize that he is renewing the world and he's starting a new creation and you get caught up in really understanding what that means in your life. You will feel power. You will feel an excitement. You'll feel a newness begin to well up in you. Um, 
And that will turn you into what a lot of people might call a good person. But I just want to really emphasize the point. Living on mission is not about being a good person. It's about being a gospel-centered person. Okay? It's about being someone whose story and whose life revolves around Jesus. Because it's Jesus' victory that produces our mission. Right? Sometimes being a good person becomes this crushing weight. Right? It's this crushing burden because we feel like in some ways, if we look close enough, we're really not as good as we really want to be or think we are. Um, but that's why we need the gospel. Because Jesus didn't come for good people. Jesus came not so we'd be good people. Jesus came so we'd be forgiven people. And it's his victory that begins to change us from the inside out. And so we're to live out Jesus' victory, and then we're to share his victory with others. So I want you to take a look in your bulletin underneath at the bottom announcement. <clears throat> we have there the definition of living on mission. Um, and this is from our website, so you can also learn a little bit more about this on our website. But it says this about living on mission. When we experience Jesus, we then share him with others. Right? Jesus is on a mission to renew people in cities. And so we join him on mission through what we do, caring for and serving others, and in what we say, sharing the gospel and how it's changed us. Jesus' hope, his victory, it speaks to our deepest needs, and we look for opportunities to share this hope with others. So the gospel renews us with a sense of purpose and a mission to become a blessing to others. And so we've coined this phrase in the past, we are blessed to be a blessing, right? God gives to us, he doesn't just give us one movie ticket so we can go to the movies for free, right? He gives us four movie tickets so that we can go to the movies and bring along three friends, right? Jesus doesn't just give us a piece of cheesecake, he gives us the whole cheesecake, not so that we would gorge ourselves and be gluttons, but so that we'd have enough to share with others, that's how the gospel works, right? As we experience Jesus, he gives us more. He gives us more than we need so that we have something to share with others. And so, what has God done for you? This is a question to ask yourself. What has God done for you? How has knowing Jesus made a difference in your life? If something comes to mind, you should write that down because that's what you should share. Right? You should share, hey, I used to be this way and now I'm this way. Right? Or I have struggled for a long time with this addiction. Or I've struggled a long time with anger or bitterness or being critical of other people or being judgmental. And Jesus has been slowly chipping away and softening my edges. Um, and so this is the mission. This is what it means to live on mission. And I think we need to ask ourselves a question why don't we live on this mission? I think some of us know this is how we're supposed to be. We know we should be sharing the gospel with people. We know we should be, dare we say the word, evangelizing others. Right? For some people, it's like a bad word. Um, but we kind of know that we should be doing this, and yet we don't. The question is why? Like, what is it that stands in the way between us and living on this mission? I think I want to offer some, some reasons. These are things that sort of get in between us and mission. 
You know, I understand I've been in a place where I've been hearing someone talk and I've been inspired. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this. And then yet when I get to the workplace tomorrow morning, it's like, what happened? Like, I, I was so sure I was going to do this. And yet the opportunity came and left and my mouth was shut. Why is this? Well, I think there's a few reasons that um, are helpful to talk about. Number one, we're afraid. We're afraid of what people will think. Kind of like the disciples here. Jesus, there's death out there. The Jews are trying to kill us. We don't want to go out there. I think sometimes we're living on other missions. Right? We actually, whether we've stated them or not, we have other missions that we are living on. Right? Instead of the mission to bless others, to show and to share the gospel with others, we might have a mission to make a certain amount of money. Like our mission is to get a certain kind of car. Or our mission is to get married. Our mission is to get back at someone for hurting us. Or some of us have a mission to make sure no one ever hurts us again. And these are things, again, they might not be conscious, but these could be the driving forces underneath our lives. Right? The things that we are living for, the mission that we are on. And then I think sometimes we just don't want God to inconvenience us. Hey, I'm a Christian. I'm in. I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. Except when God asks me to do something I don't want to do. And then I'm not really sure. Then I either trust in his forgiveness or I can reason out. No, he doesn't really say that. Um, and so, I mean, truth to be told, right? There are times when we feel like God asks for us things and we frankly just don't want to do it because it's inconvenient, it's hard, it's difficult, and we don't want to do it. Or we just don't have anything to share. Um, when we think about, okay, I need to share what I'm experiencing with Jesus, well, I don't know. I don't feel like there's anything I could really tangibly share with someone else. Um, or it's been a long time since... I think I've really experienced anything with Jesus. In places like that, it's possible that we're really not Christians because um, we're not experiencing Jesus or we just haven't been pressing in to our relationship. We haven't been investing in that relationship that we have with God. So you want to ask yourselves this question, what keeps you from showing the gospel at home, at work, and in your neighborhood? What is it for you? What are the things that you struggle with the most? I know for me, like, it really is the fear thing. And I've got a very spiritually developed sense of fear. So just full disclosure, right? I want you to know how I struggle with this. Um, my struggle is that I want everybody that I know to know and love Jesus. I want everyone that I know to understand who he is and experience him in the fullness. But they're just not ready yet. And if I push them too hard, then I'm going to push them away. Now, I think that's a wise concern, but there are times where it causes me to just not speak up at all when I should. And so for me, like, it's the fear. Um, what keeps you from showing the gospel? This is really in what you do and how you treat people and how you respond to people. Right? Are you gracious? Are you loving? Are you considerate of others? Do you try to understand what other people are going through? 
I mean, this is just what you do before you even open your mouth and talk about Jesus. What keeps you from showing the gospel in the way you treat people? But then the second question, what keeps you from sharing the gospel at home, at work, and in your neighborhood? We need to answer these questions for ourselves and also in community. Right? This is a great discussion to have in your life group this week. Just share with some folks. Yeah, this is what keeps me from showing or sharing. The good news is that the answer to all of these issues, the answer to all of these fears, is usually found in the first two values of our church. Okay? There's a little bit of a progression, right? We've already seen that it's the gospel that produces, right? That our mission comes from the victory of Jesus. The mission comes from being gospel-centered, right? Um, But also, the second value about growing in community, I mean, this is often that we need to return to the gospel and remember Jesus' victory. When we're afraid or we don't want to, we're inconvenienced, we need to go back to the gospel and remember the victory of Jesus. Other times, we need to return to community and we need to get someone else to be talking with us and praying for us to grow in our ability to show and share the gospel. Right? Very practical ways to get over whatever is stopping you, whatever the barriers are for you to live on mission. Go back to the gospel and go back to community. Okay, make sure there's other people that know what's going on and they can remind you of the victory of Jesus. They can remind you and pray for you to be able to grow. And so this is what our mission consists of. Right? It consists of us showing and sharing the gospel with the people that we know and love. And our last point, our last point <clears throat> is the reward of our mission. The reward of our mission is life for us and others. Life for us and others. I love how Jesus acts next. After he gives them this commission, verse 22 says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And so Jesus knows that you can't do this on your own. If you think, man, I just can't do this. I've tried, it doesn't work. I'm just not strong enough on my own. I don't have all the right answers on my own. Like Jesus is saying here right now to you, listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. If you're trusting in me, if you put your faith in me, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that Jesus breathed out on the disciples here, he poured out on the church at Pentecost. Baptism is this amazing picture And in the same way the water is poured out over you, so you are drenched by the water. You are drenched by the Holy Spirit. You are drenched by the presence of Jesus himself. Friends, you are not alone. You are not alone. Jesus is with you to strengthen you and to encourage you with his victory. And it's that victory that gives you boldness. It reminds you of what's really important. And so the reward here, the reward that we get is that when we step into this mission, when we live on this mission, when you begin to act in ways where you're trying to show the gospel, when you begin to speak in ways that share the gospel, you get more of Jesus. Right? Life for us means more of Jesus. 
He even said this in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so we have a chance to know Jesus more deeply, to understand him more fully when we open our mouths and share him with others. Now, this last part, the last part of this verse, it's kind of striking, isn't it? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. I thought only God could forgive sin. Didn't Jesus get in trouble for saying this? And, he, and they said, only God can do that. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, so how is it that these people can do this, the disciples? Well, I think for you as a congregation, right, as a congregation of people that are following Jesus, what this means, here's what this means, is that as you share the gospel with others, if they believe in Jesus, you can assure them that their sins are forgiven. Okay? You can give them assurance because Jesus says so. Right? Now, if they don't believe in Jesus, then you can warn them that there is no hope for forgiveness or renewal outside of Jesus because no one else has achieved the victory that Jesus has achieved. No one else entered into the world. No other God has come in and said, look, the sins that you have committed, I will suffer for. There is no other God who has come into the world and taken on the punishment of our sins and then risen from the dead to declare for sure that our sins have been paid for and that we are forgiven. And this will produce life in others. When the people who know you, when the people that you care about at home, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, when they see Jesus through what you do and they hear about Jesus through what you say, that will draw them to himself. The chances are very good that because of what you do and what you say, that people will say, hold on a second, like, I didn't realize Jesus was like this. I thought Jesus was a condemning, angry, intolerant Republican. But you're different. But you're different. Not that you can't be a Republican and be a Christian, please. God's people are on both sides of the aisle. Um... But people will say, they will be struck. They won't have a category for you because their understanding of Jesus is different from the way that you treat them and the way that you speak with them. When you are filled with God's Spirit, when you have a heart to love other people, to care for them, to share with them, Jesus will use that to bring life to others. And, and I want to introduce you to someone that this happened to in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, there was this one woman, and she actually was used by God to renew a city. It was a city of Samaria. She shared Jesus, and the whole city was renewed. People heard the gospel, and they heard her experience of Jesus. And they believed, and they were renewed. But there was something about this woman that you might not expect. This woman was trapped in sexual sin. This woman 
was trapped, not just in sexual sin, but this woman was trapped in emotional sin. She was stuck, striving for something. She was on a mission. It wasn't the mission of Jesus. Uh, When she had a conversation with Jesus, um, out of love and guidance for her, he reminded her that she has had five husbands, and she was living currently with a man, with a sixth man, who wasn't her husband. She was ostracized and shamed by her community until she met Jesus. Until she met Jesus, the gospel transformed her, and she told everyone. She shared everyone her testimony of Jesus. You want to know what her testimony was? Do you want to know what, what, what words came from a woman who had five husbands and was with a sixth, and it changed and renewed a whole city? What was her testimony? Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. This is what she said. She met Jesus, had this amazing encounter. Jesus reveals himself to her. She says, oh my God. Her life is transformed. She is a new woman. And she goes back into her city. And what does she tell people? She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. How many of you feel like you don't have a testimony? How many of you feel like you don't have something that you could share with someone else about Jesus' work in your life? It can start like this. Jesus is a man, although he's more than a man, who has confronted me with the areas where I am not who I want to be. And he has brought his forgiveness and given me hope. I have an assurance that I live by now. I have a hope that I live by now. And it's not because I'm a good person. It's because Jesus was perfect for me. Jesus has achieved a victory over sin and somehow by God's kindness and love my sins were included and I stand forgiven. And I'm not proud of what I've done. I'm not saying I'm forgiven so I have an excuse to keep doing what I'm doing. But this guy told me everything I did and he didn't cast me out. This is good news, friends. This is the victory of Jesus. I had a chance to share this gospel this week with someone. I had had one of those mornings. <laughs> My phone died. My life was in turmoil, and it was like 9 o'clock in the morning, right? You know, like we do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. Well, I had more trouble before 9 a.m. that morning than most people have all day or even all week. It was one of those mornings, okay? And I had a meeting with someone. We sat down, we're having coffee. How you doing? (sighs) It's been one of those mornings. Oh, man. Well, and so this person I was meeting with, she started saying, you know, it's crazy. Like, November has been that kind of month for everybody that I know. And she began to list off these things that people were going through that were just frustrating, difficult, you know, just the things that make you rip your hair out, make you wish you weren't born sometimes, you know, and... And as she's talking, I just, I feel the Holy Spirit 
like reminding me of the victory of Jesus. And I said, listen, um, I'm not pushing. You know me. I don't push Christianity on other people. But I would like you to know, I would like you to know that even though my life sucks today, um, there is something true about me that is so much better and so much more important than the five or six things that I've told you about. Um, and that's that, that Jesus loves me, that he has forgiven my sins, and he's given me hope and a purpose to live. And you know what? Like, I actually am very excited about my day. Um, these things, like, ultimately don't matter in the big picture. Um, but what really matters is true. And I got to tell her, I said, you know, this is part of the joy of Christianity because there is this thing that's true no matter what. 2,000 years ago, something happened. Jesus achieved this victory for me. And no matter what's going on in my life, I can go back to that well and take a drink. And it floods me with assurance. It floods me with real joy and hope, no matter how bad things get. And she was struck. She was struck. Um, not ready yet to come, not ready to commit. Um, but it had a big impact. And it set us off on, like, on a great conversation. Um, and it's not just me. Um, another story about someone who's part of our church. Uh, she was in the mall and um, smelled a Cinnabon, because, you know, you can't step into the mall without smelling Cinnabon, right? And like the old Bugs Bunny cartoon where the aroma, like, draws you in, right? So she's drawn and and there was a sign that said free coffee, and she's like, I want free coffee. And so, um, and she noticed that at the counter, the woman behind the counter who was helping people, like, seemed depressed. And so she told me, hey, are you, are you okay? And all of a sudden, like, the woman kind of, like, visibly diminished, you know, and she became, it felt like some layers were coming off. And um, there wasn't anybody else in line. So, and she said, well, I'm just at the place where I, I feel like nobody cares. And so this woman just presses in, like, well, like, tell me more. I feel like there's nobody in life that loves me. And so she said, listen, I'm standing here because God wants you to know that he loves you. that you're not alone, that he sees you. Tears start coming down this woman's eyes. And a relationship begins. It's not about being pushy. It's about you sharing what you've experienced. Right? That's what it means to live on mission. That's glorious. That's inspiring. That is something that I hope all of us carry with us so that we're looking for opportunities to share, so that we're asking the questions, what keeps me from living on mission? When we ask the questions, what have I experienced from Jesus so I know what I want to share? Like all of those things are so vital. 
And I want to step up a little bit, though. I want to step back, because remember, this is part of who we are as a church, right? This third value. This is a value. This is a tool that we are using to build a renewed city, okay? Friends, as your pastor, all of us, we need to say yes to this, okay? I need every one of you to say yes to living on mission if we're going to build a renewed city, okay? We need to be renewed people so that we can walk in the city, in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, so that we have something to share. And so, in order for us to be the church that God is calling us to be, every single one of us has to say, yes, I'm going to live on mission. So I need you all to say yes to this. And if you don't know how, then I need you to commit to growing in community. Make sure there is someone in this church who knows that you don't know how to live on mission. Make sure someone else you're talking with, you're praying with, because you can grow in this. You can grow in this. It's not as difficult as you think. But it's by being these kinds of people, isn't it? It's by being the kind of people that walk through life with something to share. It's by being people that have this gospel story, this centeredness on the gospel that's true of us no matter what. That's what lets us live above circumstances, right? That's what lets us have something that's worth sharing. And we can give the hope that we have to others. Let's press into this this week. Pray with me. Jesus, um, we want you to be glorified. All of this is based on your victory and what you have done. You have begun this new creation and you've invited us to be a part of it. And we want your creation, your new creation power to spread throughout the city. And so Jesus, we beg you, please help us to experience this. Help each one of us as we say yes to this, as we say yes to your mission, as we say yes to being sent by you. We know that it's going to come with suffering. We know that it's going to come and we're going to have to face our fears. We're going to have to face our laziness. We're going to have to face our sin. But Jesus, would you help us to experience you so that we can begin to share with other people? Please make it clear to us what we can do this week to show the gospel and then help us, Lord, as we meet with you, as we meet in our life groups and in community. Jesus, help us to identify those things that get in the way so that we can destroy those things and so we can embrace this mission. You love San Diego. We do too. And we want to see the city renewed. And so renew us. Thank you that we're not alone. We commit to you. We pray that you would be with us in this. We pray this in your name. Amen.